Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Cersei podcast. Before we get into today's message, we want to remind you that if you'd like to get connected to what God is doing here in our local community, you can text the word Cersei to 88000 for more information. There you can let us know how we can be praying for you this week, get plugged into a life group, you can give online, sign up for a serve team, and so much more. We also want to let you know that you can join us live every Sunday in person at 9 or 11 a.m. or stream our 11 a.m. service live every week on Facebook and on YouTube. Finally, you can find today's message notes in the Bible app. Just tap the link in the podcast episode notes to follow along with us. Now let's get ready to hear a great message today. Um, today, uh, Kevin is actually speaking at our West Little Rock campus. Uh, if you're, if you're, this is the first summer you've been joining us. Usually in the summertime, uh, all the campus pastors kind of play merry-go-round and visit other campuses. And uh, it's really an opportunity for us to be able to hear from new voices. Um, it's, it's, we want to know what other campuses have going on, and we want to be able to share our campus pastors with other campuses. So he's at West Little Rock today speaking. Uh, he should be back next week, but... Uh, you get me today. You're stuck with me. Y'all get what I, you know, get what I did there? Uh, you're stuck with me. And I do want to talk on the subject of being stuck. And to do that, I want to go to John chapter 5. So if you've got a Bible app with me, uh, you can go there. Or if you have an actual Bible, of course, you can go with me as well. If you don't, we have a Sky Bible is what we, I call it sometimes. So you can follow along with us on the screens. Um, this is a popular piece of scripture, a story that I'm sure a lot of you probably have heard. And... Um, it's a really great story when it comes to the topic of being stuck. And what I want to do today is, as I'm reading this text and as you're following along with me and kind of processing it yourself, I want you to have that word stuck in your mind as we read it. Picture the man that we're talking about in this story through the lens of being stuck, okay? So let's go into it together. John chapter 5. Verses 2 through 9 is where I want to spend most of my time today. This is what it says. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which in Hebrew is called Bethesda. Having five porches, in these lay a great multitude of sick people. And it goes on to list them. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed, all waiting for the moving of the water. Verse 4. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? That's a very important question that Jesus asks. If you've got paper notes, you can write that down or highlight it or underline it, whatever you want to do, because it's a very important question. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another one steps down before me. In verse 8, Jesus says to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. I want to ask you guys a question. It's kind of a rhetorical question, so you don't have to respond back. Although I'm a student pastor, so if you yell back at me, I'm going to be used to it. But what I want to ask you this morning is, have you ever been stuck before? Have you ever been in a situation where you've been stuck? Now, this could be uh, physically stuck somewhere, uh, or maybe it's just an emotional or mental jam. Um, It's never fun being stuck, 
For example, if you've ever been stuck in traffic, you know how much of a nightmare that can be. For me personally, I hate getting stuck in traffic. I've got a little case of road rage. We're not even going to lie. And I will, if I get stuck in traffic somewhere, I will turn off and go the long way around to get to my destination just so I don't have to sit there in it. Because i got to be moving the whole time. If I'm just sitting there in traffic waiting on things to move, I'm going to get angry. I'm going to turn into the Hulk just a little bit. And so i got to keep moving. Uh, maybe for you, it's getting stuck late at work. Like your shift was supposed to be over at five and this, you got this project to work on and so you find yourself staying late so you can make sure it's done before the morning deadline. Or maybe you got customers coming in at the last minute and you find yourself stuck. You can't leave until this situation is taken care of. Or maybe, my favorite, you get stuck on the middle seat of a long flight somewhere, okay? And then you are stuck 30,000 feet above the ground and you gotta go to the bathroom but the person next to you is drooling on your shoulder and you can't get out and so you find yourself stuck. Being stuck is no fun at all, ever. Um, when I was a kid, a little, little kid, like I don't even think I was two years old yet. So I have no real recollection of this but I think subconsciously I have the trauma of it. But when I was, when I was small, um, you know, this is the 80s. I'm, I'm not even two years old yet, so it's the 80s. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of stuff to keep me occupied. There was no iPad that I could play on. There was no Paw Patrol. There was nothing like that. So I had to rely on my own imagination at this age in my life. And uh, the story goes like this, that I was apparently just kind of doing my own thing, wandering around the house, playing with toys, whatever it was. And I find myself in our covered patio, and I see a screen door, and on the screen door is a small little hole just big enough for two-year-old dumb Craig to stick his finger in. And two-year-old dumb Craig goes, what happens if I do this? And I stick my finger in it, and guess what happens? I get stuck. Can't get it out. The, the, if, you, if you know what a screen door is, I mean, it just wraps all around your finger and starts to stick in. I'm like, ow, ow, ow. It hurt a little bit. And then dumb two-year-old mind Craig goes, well, I got it in this way. I should be able to get it out this way. And if you've ever seen one of those fishing traps on those shows on, about the wilderness, you know that some things only go one way in and they don't come back out. This was a situation with my finger. Put it in. It's not coming out. I'm trying to pull it. I'm twisting it. Y'all, people thought I was getting murdered. I was screaming so loud. And I'm going to kind of spare you the graphic details, but I will say if you have a weak constitution, just kind of go la, 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 because skin was starting to get pulled off. It was not a good situation. And here's the proof. Baby Craig's hand with the Band-Aid on it as proof that this happened to me. I still actually, at 35 years old, I have the scar right here uh, to prove it. And true story, to this day, like... I, if somebody says, hey, I cut my finger, do you want to see it? I'm like, no. Like, I get squeamish. I can handle a lot of different gross stuff, but fingers and toes, that kind of injury, I can't handle to this day. And it wasn't until like two weeks ago that I put the two together that that's why that was the case. But getting stuck is no fun and usually causes pain in our lives. The moral of this story is that this is how I think the man in our story, in our text today felt. He felt like he was stuck in a place, and every time he tried to move a little bit, it hurt even more. He found himself in disappointment, constantly disappointed, because every time he tried to move, somebody got there first. Every time he got to a position where maybe this will be the day, pain happened again. I'm 35 years old. I cannot imagine spending my entire life 
and a couple years being like this man was, laying on the side of a pool, trying to get help and always being disappointed. Maybe this looks like you this morning. Maybe you find yourself stuck in a job that you hate. There's no advancement. It feels like you're disappointed because it feels like everybody else around you that you work with is getting a promotion, is getting an advancement. They're getting raises, and here you are stuck in the same position. Maybe for you, you are stuck with financial problems. You find yourself stuck in a position where you, you're never able to make enough money or never do the things that you want to do, not able to provide for your family the way you want to. You see everybody else on Instagram or Facebook. You should get off those, by the way. But you see them on social media posting pictures about their vacations or their lake days or their new boat or new truck. And you're like, I'm just stuck where I'm at. I'm never going to get to where they are. Maybe you're stuck in an addiction and other people are finding freedom and getting freedom from their addictions. And here you are stuck in the same thing. Maybe you're stuck waiting one day to be a parent. And here you are, people who are way younger than you, now on their third kid. And you're sitting here going, why can't it happen for us? And maybe you're stuck being single and other people on their third marriage. And you're like, why can't I just have one? You find yourself stuck. But like the sick people in our text this morning, the multitudes of them, many people are looking for healing, looking for answers. They're looking for things, but they're looking for them in the wrong place. Jesus walks on the scene and the multitudes of people are still staring at the pool. Meanwhile, Jesus has entered the scene where all he has to do is say the word. And he walks up to this man. The Bible says that he chooses just the one man. And many, many scholars believe that Jesus was not on a healing tour at this point. He didn't want to do that there. But he went and picked out one person. He went to go meet their need. And Jesus only says three things to this man. And I want to go through them one by one this morning and kind of spend some time on them. The first line is this. The first thing Jesus says to him is this. Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made well? And at first, this seems like a really obvious question. It seems kind of dumb. Like, Jesus, come on, that's a dumb question that you ask. The dude's been sick for 38 years. He's been paralyzed, waiting for healing, constantly disappointed. Yeah, of course, he wants to be made well. But the man actually never says yes. In our text, the man never says, of course, no. Instead, what he does is he gives an excuse. Jesus asks him, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made well? And the man says in verse 7, I have nobody to put me in the pool. When the water stirred up, I've got nobody to do that for me. And here's the moral of this, that excuses will get you what you want, but not what you need. Excuses will get you what you want, but not what you need. Need. Jesus could have easily just sat there with him and said, you know what, I'm going to hang out until the water gets stirred and then I'll drag you. You know, How many of y'all are, have ever been like in a pool or a lake with maybe a, a young sibling or a child or something and they're like, toss me, toss me, and you just throw them overboard as far as you can into the water? Jesus could have done that. He could have drop kicked this dude into the pool at some point when the water got stirred up. But that's not what he needed It's what the man wanted at the time because he thought that was the only source of healing. Jesus knew what he needed. Um, If you've ever been, let me just get a show of hands. How many of you have ever been to an escape room before? Raise your hand if you've been to an escape room, okay? So y'all are party people, I knew it, okay? Um, I love escape rooms. I love trying to figure out puzzles and figuring stuff out like that. And um, 
I went to several escape rooms. The last one I went to was pre-COVID, and I went with some other student pastors from across the state. And we went to just go hang out and have a great time. And um, you, ever, you ever hear somebody say something that just kind of gets a check in your spirit? Like, it has nothing to do with anything spiritual, but you're like, that'll preach, you know, that kind of moment. Well, we were at this escape room, and the lady who was giving us the instructions on, on the day and everything like that, she was kind of going through all the mundane stuff. You know, you've got this many lifelines. You can ask this many questions to the taskmaster. These are the levels. This is all the stuff you've got to do. Uh, if we need to, we can shut it down and come get you and unlock you, so don't panic. But then she said something toward the end that just, man, it just it checked in my spirit, and it stuck with me ever since. She said this. She, she said, there is a lot of puzzles and hidden objects in this room. Everything you see is a potential clue, but if it doesn't open, don't force it. It's locked for a reason. And I heard that and I'm like, my goodness, that's good. Like that can apply to our lives in so many ways. And I think it was trying, this kind of thought was trying to get, come across to these people who were sick and this man in particular. There's so many of us that we tr find ourselves trying as hard as we can to find the answers and solutions and healing. And we're trying to break down doors that won't budge, thinking the answer is behind it. Meanwhile, God is giving us an open door if we just pursue it. We're trying so hard to knock down the door. This has got to be it. This is, this is what makes sense to me. And I'm going to bust this door down to find it because I know it's on the other side of that. Meanwhile, God is in our midst saying, if you will come and knock on my door, I will open it for you. God is asking us, he's begging us to focus our attention on him. And this man was doing that. He was trying to knock down the door. He was making excuses after excuses to Jesus why he couldn't get to the pool. And Jesus is saying, but I am your source. You're knocking down the wrong door. His focus was on his own inabilities instead of God's ability. His focus was on what he thought needed to be done and his insecurities instead of putting his trust in God who can handle anything. The Bible says that God's ways are not like our ways. His thoughts, not like our thoughts. We're not going to always understand what God has for us. Uh, I saw this quote one time and I thought it was so good and I had to say it today. It says this, making, the, making an excuse for why God can't heal you is like you saying that you are the exception to God's power. So good to me. Me making the excuse saying, well, well, God can't heal me. I'm too far gone. I'm too far messed up. My situation's too bad. God can't do anything with me. You are basically saying, you, I know God is all powerful and he did all those amazing things, but he can't help me. You are not the exception to God's power. God wants to do the same thing for you in your life as well. And here's the truth. I said earlier that this sounded like a dumb question, but Jesus doesn't ask dumb questions. What he was asking never had anything to do with the man's health. I don't think Jesus was asking, do you want to be made healthy? What I think he was asking is, are you willing to do what it takes to be whole? Are you willing to go through the steps? Are you willing to dedicate yourself? Are you willing to put in the work to make it happen? Because here's a statement, not everyone who is sick is ready to be well. Not everyone who is sick is ready to be made well, yet for some, you've been sick so long that you don't think it's possible to be well. Just like I said before, you think you may be the exception or you're too far gone for God to be able to do anything with your life. For others, maybe you're so used to being sick 
that you have Stockholm Syndrome when it comes to your situation that you're in. You've gotten comfortable now in it. This is how you've lived your life for 38 years. And why would I want to mess this up? I'm used to it now. It's comfortable. Everything out there is going to be so new. I'm going to have to do a lot more work. And I'm going to have to figure things out again. The truth is that you will only be made whole to the degree that you want to be. Uh, about probably 15 years or so ago, I was on a ladder working on something. And I fell off the ladder. And... I know what you're thinking. Craig, you get injured a lot. And yes, you're, you're right. But I fell off the ladder and I really messed up my ankle. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure I broke it in multiple places. And the reason I say I'm pretty sure is because I never went to the doctor. I was a stubborn 19, 20-year-old kid. And like, I'm not going to the doctor. I'm fine. I can walk. I was trying to be tough, you know. I can walk it off. And so, you know, I go to Walgreens or something and I get some kind of boot to put on it, a brace. And I'm walking around with like a crutch for a while. Then I had a cane for a little bit. People called me House MD for like six months because I was that guy. They called me Gimpy too, which was like just mean, you know, just you have friends that were mean like that. But I walked around with this injury for a while, never going to the doctor and it never quite healed upright. So here I am now in my mid-30s. And if you pay attention while I'm walking, you'll notice I typically walk with, with this, this foot sticking out like that. I don't walk straight. That's weird for me to do. I always walk like this. I've never been able to walk quite right. And when I go do active things, play basketball or go on a hike or something like that, I've always, at the end of it, my, my ankle just hurts so bad or I've got to wear a brace and I've got to do all the stuff. And it's never worked and healed up quite right. And... The point of this is to say that if I had taken care of it on the front end, if I had been willing to be made completely whole on the front end, it wouldn't be causing me problems on the back end. But instead, I only wanted to be healed for as much work as I was able to put into it. And I found myself all these years later still struggling with the effects of that. Our spiritual lives are the same way. You will only be made whole to the degree that you want to be. So if you're struggling with something right now, if you're willing to put in the work, if you're willing to work at it, if you're willing to do all the things that you need to do, then you can be whole down the line. But if we just simply let it go, it'll take care of itself. It'll work itself out. Then what we find is that years down the road, and you may be okay for most things, but those things will still be nagging you. They'll always be in the back of your mind. You'll constantly be struggling with them from time to time. Jesus is asking this man, are you willing to do the work? Do you really want to be made whole? Because if so, let's put in work here. How many of us in this room have been hurt but chose to do nothing about it? How many of us have suffered something, stuck in an addiction, stuck in a circumstance, yet we are not willing to do anything about it? The second thing that Jesus said to the man was to pick up your mat and go. Pick up your mat and go. Both the action and the mat itself have significance in this text, I believe. Because I want you to think about the mat for a second. Let's focus in on that for just a few minutes. How much significance did that mat have in this man's life? This is something he laid on daily, every day, maybe for the full 38 years, we don't know. Maybe he changed it out at some point. But this thing had to be grimy, nasty. He sweat on it, probably cried on it. Maybe he bled on it. Maybe he did other things on it. Like it was just gross. But yet it had become comfortable to him. 
It's kind of like those Febreze commercials, right? You see those? Like, have you become nose blind? Like, maybe he was nose blind to his actual mat in a place where his, his grossness and ugliness and, and, and all these things had, had now become his identity. But when Jesus tells him to take his mat and walk, he didn't tell him to leave it there. He said, I want you to take it with you. Because that mat in that moment as he walked out of the pool, as he goes to the temple, as he's walking down the street, now suddenly people are looking at the mat and they go, wait, that's that guy who's been there longer than I have. That's that guy who's been laying there longer than I've been alive. And suddenly that mat becomes his testimony. And that's what I want to get at with this. And if you're taking notes, this is a great thing to write down, that your story is your mat. Your story is your mat. How many people in this room, you don't have to raise your hand, but I just want you to think about it. How many of you here have been impacted by somebody else's story? How many people in this room were led to a relationship with Christ because of somebody else's story? How many people throughout history have had a relationship with God because of somebody's story? Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, chances are you've read the Bible and that's just a collection of stories from people's lives who are speaking to you. This is stuff that happened to people and God himself said, these are stories I want to handpick for future generations to know. Your story has value. Some of you may say, well, Craig, I can never get up on a stage and preach, or I could never lead worship, or I could never work with kids. Good Lord, do not make me work with kids. And some of you are like, I don't know what I have to offer. You have your story. Because I promise you this, there are people probably in this room who are going through something that you've already been through and came out the other side of, and they need to hear your story. This is why life groups are important. This is why community is important, because you get to share your story. You get to share your experiences. Maybe you're on the other end of it. You're going through something right now so hard you don't know how to deal with. You need to share your story because there's somebody who's already been through it and can talk you through it. Daniel chapter four, verse two says this. It, it has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high God has done for me. This, this piece of scripture was said by King Nebuchadnezzar right after he saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walk out of a hot pocket toaster oven, Okay. Like he just saw this amazing thing happen and then he wrote this down because for him, this was part of his story. He wanted the whole world to know what just happened because it impacted his life in such a way. Your story is important. God loves turning your biggest issue into your greatest strength. It doesn't matter how smelly and ugly and disgusting your background is, God still wants to use it to impact people's lives around you. The second part of this that was important was the action. The mat was important, but the action was also so incredibly important. Pick up your mat and go. Pick up and go. Why is this important? Because this, if the man does this, he's just answered the question that Jesus asked. Are you willing to be made well? Then you will pick up your mat and go. When he reaches down, picks up his mat and walks away, that is him saying yes. That is him saying, yes, I am willing to do what it takes to be made well. And the question that I think God is asking is, is asking you. Number one, what question do you think God is asking you? What question is he calling you to? And number two, are you willing to actually do it? 
There's an old story about a mountain climber, and uh, maybe you've heard it before, maybe not. I heard it years ago. There's a story, and I, I honestly, I don't know if this is true or not, but it's a great story regardless, and it really drives the point home. And there was this mountain climber who wanted to tackle one really steep and, and treacherous mountain in the Andes. And he was kind of prideful, so he wanted to do it by himself. He wanted to take this as a solo trip. And so he packs up all his gear. He, he sets the date. He gets out there, and he starts off in the morning on this trip. And about halfway through the day, he realizes this is taking a lot longer than I thought it would. Like, it's taking me quite a while to get up this mountain. But you know what? I think I can still make it. I'm going to push through. So he keeps going. Suddenly the sun starts to set, starting to get darker. And he's like, ooh, man, I can see the top now. I'm close. I think I can get there. And he keeps pursuing it. But before too much longer, he's not at the top yet. And now it's completely dark. The sun is set. There's no moon out tonight. It's complete pitch black out there. He finds himself in a precarious situation and he sees he, he's trying to, to make his way. He's like, I got it. I know I'm close to the top. I just need to press on. I, I, I can feel my way around. But of course, you guys can see where this is going. He makes an error. He slips. And before you know it, he's falling. He finds himself in a free fall. And I've got to imagine this is the longest 30 seconds of his life or something. Like his life is flashing before his eyes. He thinks this is the end. When all of a sudden he gets jolted, snapped by his safety rope. And so now he finds himself just hanging there. And so he's trying to swing around. He's trying to reach to see if he's anywhere near a tree or the mountain itself. And he must be overhanging on a ledge because he's, there's nothing around him. And he can't get any momentum to find anything. So he's just left there swinging, hanging, dangling there in suspended darkness. And in that moment, he realizes the only way I'm getting out of this is if God helps me. And so he, he, he says, I'm, I'm not a very religious man, but I'm going to talk to God anyway. And he cries out to God, God, would you save me? God, would you please rescue me in this moment? And God answers back. And he says three words to the man. He says, cut the rope. The climber goes, well, that's the one thing I know I can't do. If I cut this rope, I'm a dead man. There's no way I can cut this rope and survive, okay? I don't know how far away I am, but I was really close to the top. I didn't fall that far. There's no way. God just simply says, cut the rope. It's a deal breaker for the man. He doesn't do it. He hangs there. Night continues to go on. The next morning, other climbers are up there and they come across this man. He's dead, frozen, hanging there. His body's just hanging there, two feet off the ground. Two feet from a ledge that could have saved his life. If he had just cut the rope, he could have survived. He could have made his way to the ground, set up base camp, done something. But because he ignored what God had, even though as crazy and as strange as it may have been, he couldn't cut the rope. My point is this, are we willing to do what God is asking us to do?
As crazy as it may sound, remember, God's ways are not like our ways. His thoughts, not like our thoughts. We don't understand everything that he has for us. So when God is asking us to do something, are we willing to do it? This paralyzed man was in a similar situation. Jesus is telling him, hey, I know it sounds crazy. Just stand up and grab your mat and go away. Stuck in a moment that it's incredibly difficult to wrap our mind around. It was a big request. It was safe. It was familiar. It was comfortable. I know what happens if I'm here, but God, you're asking me to do something I don't know the outcome to. But by trusting God, we start to unlock the rescue plan that he has for us. Jesus said one final thing to the man in our story, and I'm not going to spend a long time on it, but a few verses later, Jesus runs into this man again because right after he had healed him, Jesus had walked away. He didn't, he didn't want to draw attention to himself. He healed the man and walked out. And the man went out, and as he was on his way to the, the, the temple, the synagogue, he, he ran into religious leaders, and they asked him, who did this to you? Why are you carrying your mat? Because ironically, the most shocking thing to these religious leaders was not that he was walking around, but that he was carrying a mat because that was against the law on the Sabbath. He says, I don't know who the guy is, but he healed me and he just told me to grab my mat and walk away. The Bible says that a little bit later on, Jesus runs into him again at the synagogue and some, some people believe that Jesus sought him out at the temple. And this is what it says in John chapter five, verse 14. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him whole. The last thing Jesus said to him was sin no more. I want you guys to stand with me this morning. I'm wrapping up and we're going to get into a time of worship, but I want to focus on this sin no more for just a minute. The reason why I want you to stand is because I want us to prepare ourselves for, for just a moment of worship. We're going to do one more song in a minute, but I want this to be the last thing that resonates in your mind. Because I love that Jesus comes back to find this man and issues him a challenge. And it's not a physical challenge, it's a spiritual one. He realizes that this man was not just stuck in a physical situation, but he was stuck in a spiritual situation. Because the very next verse that we read in John 5, 16 says this, for the reason the Jews persecuted Jesus, for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus, and they sought to kill him. It was this moment that started the snowball effect to Jesus being on the cross. Think about this for just a second. I don't know if you've ever put two and two together, but I, I, I did when I was just kind of prepping for this. Jesus could have not come back and told him. And the religious leaders would have never known that it was Jesus who asked this man to hold his mat. But Jesus willingly, Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew what his actions were about to do. He knew it was the Sabbath. He knew it was against the law at that time. He asked the man to do it anyway. And then, not only that, but he came back and told him, hey, by the way, my name is Jesus. I'll be your server. Thank you, okay? He told him, it's me. Jesus did this willingly, and it proves the fact that Jesus gave his life freely for us. Why? Because his love for us, for our soul, for relationship with him is so much more than our physical ailment. His love for us is so much more than the areas on earth that we're stuck in. He was willing to come back. 
he was willing to give his life. He was willing to risk himself for you and me. This is a reminder of the love of Jesus, that despite knowing he would die, despite knowing this was the beginning, this was the situation, this was the moment that would cause them to want to put him to death, he came back anyway for you. And that's so encouraging to know it doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter how ugly your mat is. It doesn't matter how messy your story is. It doesn't matter how stuck you think you are and how many different ways you've played it out in your mind that you could get healed. It doesn't matter how much disappointment you go through. That Jesus is coming back for you because he loves you. He cares for you. The cross was enough to cover it all. And even though you don't understand it, he has made a way where there is no way. So this morning, while you're standing, I want you just to close your eyes for a moment. In about 30 seconds, we're gonna go into a time of worship. And I wanna challenge you just to give everything you've got to God in worship this morning. Maybe you hadn't worshiped like this in a while. I want to challenge you, listen, even if you don't know the song, just to give yourself, surrender yourself to God and ask him, God, I may be stuck. I may not understand everything, but I know you love me. I know you have a plan for my life. But I want to ask before we get into worship this morning, I want to ask a question, and it may, call, it may require some courage on your part. But if you're in this place this morning or if you're watching online and this is you, and you say, Craig, I'm stuck. I'm just stuck. I feel trapped in my situation, in my sin, whatever the case may be. I just feel like I'm in a trapped place. I'm in a stuck place. And the answer to the question I think Jesus is asking, do you want to be made well? And are you willing to do the work? The answer for me is yes. The answer for me is absolutely yes. And if that's you in this place this morning with great bravery and courage, because I know it takes it, we're not going to do anything weird or strange, but I just want to ask you simply just to lift up your hand if that's you.